Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. The jobs, economy, and financial markets are struggling to maintain the substantial snapbacks we've seen from our COVID lockdowns and disruptions. But our pre-COVID issues are also snapping back. Recall that in early 2020, the U.S. and global economies were stalled in terms of growth, jobs creation, and new business investment. And that's despite the record government borrowings back at that time. The pandemic compressed a lot of ongoing pre-pandemic trends and changed a few more trends, some for the better and some for the worse. Today, we'll focus on the trends that will define how we end this year and what we can expect during the first part of next year. Pretty much all of us have experienced what I'll call reversion to the mean. For example, if housing prices over the past 20 or 30 years averaged an increase of 3 to 4% annually, we know that many of those years were below the 3% to 4%, and many were above. And almost none of the year-to-year numbers can be expected to equal exactly the mean or the average. When we had much higher increases in the early 2000s, over 10% increases in housing prices in some years in many areas, we knew the reversion to the mean would ultimately occur. We just didn't know and don't know exactly when it will occur. As it was, The mortgage security crisis in 2008-2009 took care of when. Just as home prices in some areas increased 20 or 30 percent in the early 2000s, they fell 20 to 30 percent in 2008 to 2010 or so. Now we're back about the long-term average, and most of us know why prices have continued to increase, mainly low interest rates and easy ways to take on new debt. We are at or near an inflection point once again when debt-inspired high rates of inflation are driving up not only home prices, but the stock and bond markets. Here we go again, but let's not get caught off guard. From stimulus boom to thud, the coming reversion to the mean of economic growth is happening faster than many economists have expected. Given that wages have not increased fast enough over the last 20 years to compensate for increased living costs, the rise in household debt should not be surprising. So what's changing? What are we looking at now? The first tip-off is the math. More technically, the second derivative of growth is now problematic. In brief, the second derivative is not the trend itself, but how the trend is changing in the most recent periods. A classic example is the apple falling on Newton's head. The apple's growth trend was up as it grew on the branch, but the trend became level or non-growth as the apple matured. Then the trend changed to down as the apple fell, and the second derivative is the rate of change in the trend. As the apple matured, it grew larger, but at a slower rate of speed. As the apple fell, it fell faster as it fell. Anyway, back to our business insights. The rates of growth in real prices, economic growth, and financial market interest rates are no longer gaining momentum, but they are not yet falling, at least substantially. 
we are at an inflection point where the second derivative has changed this year from growth to no growth to actually falling. There is much at risk in the market as we head into the third quarter of 2021. For clarity, let's review the second derivative effect. But first of all, why am I telling you this? Well, because we are at that point in the recovery cycle. Over the next few quarters, the year-to-year comparisons will become much more challenging. The second quarter of this year will likely mark the peak of the economic recovery. If this evaluation is correct, then many trends will change starting about now. One, interest rates have already rebounded significantly this year with the benchmark 10-year Treasury note again pushing close to 1.5% as of today, September 27th. As we've suggested in prior podcasts, interest rates really have nowhere to go but up. The corollary is that bond prices have nowhere to go but down. As interest rates increase, particularly when the federal government has to finance another 3 to $4 trillion of new debt from anticipated congressional new spending, and past government debts of trillions of dollars must be refinanced over the next year, the stock market is expected to have one or more large downturns. That's not to say 10 years from now or 20 years from now, the stock market won't be substantially higher, but relatively soon, downturns and substantial downturns are expected. Home prices are already showing up the second derivative impact we just mentioned. Prices are going up at a slower and slower rate with declines in store for us as interest rates continue to move up. Unfortunately, risks to all markets are increasing as inflation continues higher. Again, as we mentioned over the past year, supply chain issues and decisions to de-emphasize China's manufacturing exports will increase prices across many goods. As a direct example, a shipping container renting for $2,000 last year from China to the U.S. now costs about $16,000 for the trip, up eight times. Additionally, the Baltic Dry Index, which provides a benchmark for the price of moving the major raw materials by sea, has increased four times since a year ago, including a double in the past six months. Inside the U.S. residential, rents are increasing at record rates with the end of rent moratoriums in process. In fact, I think we can expect that landlords are going to take very substantial increases in rents when they can, because they may be looking over their shoulder thinking another moratorium could come their way. So these rent increases, I expect to be very substantial. 15, 20, 25 percent, that's pretty substantial. Rent increases do flow pretty directly to the consumer price index. So the consumer price index has been kept lower for many years because of the rent factor instead of the real estate prices directly. But now I expect the rents are going to reflect the real estate price increases. I think this is going to be a surprise. I don't know that many are really factoring in. Additionally, gasoline is at cycle highs, with many in California paying over $5 a gallon. Underpinning gas prices is crude oil prices that have almost doubled since the end of last year. Steel prices are up 50%. Agricultural food products are up 20, 30, 40%, and so on. As previously reported, even Warren Buffett a couple of months ago indicated Berkshire Hathaway's retail operations are increasing prices due to wholesale price inflation, which is running close to 6% a year 
as we record this podcast. As promised in recent podcasts, I'm bringing in additional expertise from leading hedge fund, sovereign wealth fund, and private offices. By the way, hedge funds control 4 to $5 trillion of investments, and family offices, which are really the offices of the uber-rich, control another 3 to $4 trillion. These folks are importantly watching the trends and can be expected to make early moves in the markets. That's why I watch them, and that's why I want to share some information with you based on their recent behavioral changes. These insights are intended to further your own knowledge by bringing to you the latest thinking. I have no interest in picking any specific fund or any specific source of information, but as you might guess, a number of private individuals who manage billions or trillions of dollars are not necessarily speaking publicly that often. So I'm picking the ones that are available and the ones who have excellent track records. And as I mentioned, Jeffrey Gundlach, who is the head of DoubleLine, has built his whole business starting from the 2008-2009 Great Recession to one of the largest hedge funds. So I'm going to include an interview with him that took place days ago. The interview is a lengthy interview, but I think you will get a lot out of it. So I'm including the link to the interview, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but I'm also including a link to a source that is named TIP Ranks, T-I-P-R-A-N-K-S, and this source is free, and it does summarize recent investment decisions in the stock market portfolios of top fund managers. So you can use the link that I'm including also on the SoundCloud site. And TipRanks tracks and measures the performance of about 96,000 financial experts, including Wall Street analysts, financial bloggers, hedge funds, and corporate insiders. So when you go to this site, you can not only see who the people and who the funds are, but you can click through and see the recent changes they've made in their investment portfolios. Back to Jeffrey Gunluck. Danielle DiMartino Booth is interviewing Jeffrey Gunlock in the YouTube link provided. And Jeffrey Gunlock is talking about government spending, inflation, the dollar, his investment thesis going forward. The person interviewing him, Danielle DiMartino Booth, is the founder of an advisory firm named Quill Intelligence, Q-U-I-L-L. And she spent nine years at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. She served as advisor to the Federal Reserve Dallas President Richard W. Fisher throughout the financial crisis until his retirement in 2015. So these are two of the most knowledgeable people. They are rarely appearing in the public domain. I really encourage you to take the hour plus And you may want to watch this YouTube in parts, but it is well worth your time, I promise. Going back to our Business Insights podcast, I draw on a lot of these sources. I'm just not smart enough to think of all this myself. So I'm drawing on a lot of sources. I'm weighing, measuring, and I'm actually editing. I hope for your benefit. That's the intent. In brief, over the past few years, the Federal Reserve has made a big bet that low interest rates and record levels of money printing will improve consumer confidence and generate a real recovery. And several years ago, Ben Bernanke said it best, quote, and higher stock prices will boost consumer wealth and help increase confidence, which can also spur spending. 
So a higher stock market and higher home prices and even a higher bond market should be a spur to real growth. And the Federal Reserve has been on that pathway. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out that way. And you could look at pretty much any data that you wish in terms of real gross national product growth, particularly if one were to use more reliable measures of the consumer price index, which deflates the gross national product, which converts it to real. If we used, in my view, more reliable consumer price data, we would have no growth in United States GDP for at least the past 10 years. And that certainly is continuing to be the case as producer prices increase over 6% month to month now, and the consumer price index is well over 5%. So we are seeing this. So if the gross national product or gross domestic product were to increase 6% and the prices were to increase 6%, you wouldn't have any real change. And I think that's where we are. And that's called ultimately stagflation. Since 70% of the gross domestic product is from the consumer sector, goods and services. I think you can imagine how we attained a recent spending spike. The government injected almost 20% of total gross domestic product, roughly $5 trillion in the last year or so. So if we didn't get an increase from that, that would be totally shocking. But the not shocking part is a $5 trillion increase by the government spending has barely moved the needle on real gross domestic product growth over the past several quarters. And my view is it's over. The Congress approving another 3 to $4 trillion won't be enough to move the needle. This is going to go more into the inflation category. That's going to cause reversions to the mean, which was a bit of the theme of today. As inflation is recognized to be a longer-term issue, Interest rates, despite Federal Reserve intervention and money creation, can be expected to move higher. Home prices will likely move on a downtrend that's already continued. And the supply chain issues are going to continue to challenge, as I mentioned before, price increases that are taking place in agricultural and shipping and so forth are bound to find their way into the wage market. You're seeing that with about 9.5 million jobs open and almost 10 million people continue to be on support payments. 3 to 4 million people are going to be shocked as their rent prices take a big move up as the prohibitions on rent increases expire. Given that wages have not increased much over the past 20 years to compensate for increased living costs, the rise in household debt is not surprising. But as noted, the increase in debt is not for the consumption of more stuff. Instead, debt gets used to fill the gap between wages and living standards. And we see this time and time again. The mortgage total loans are moving up. Low interest rates so far kept mortgage payments manageable, but that's changing. And the linkage between confidence, consumption, and economic growth is critical. The recent plunge in consumer confidence as financial supports run out should not get dismissed very lightly. Moreover, that breakdown in consumer confidence will likely show up in consumption in future quarters and ultimately less than needed economic growth. Over the next few quarters, the real risk is a slowdown in consumption due to the lack of financial supports, stagnant wage growth, and high levels of unemployment. However, it's also a math problem, as noted before. 
the second derivative of economic growth will have a more considerable impact on the future. As you will likely remember, economic growth rates peaked in the 1980 period and continued a steady trend lower. Again, such is the function of stagnant wage price and rising debt levels. Importantly, given the importance of personal consumption expenditures on growth, the rate of consumption continues to set lower and lower trend growth. After the financial crisis, the media buzzword became the new normal for what the post-crisis economy would look like. It was a period of slower economic growth. Now we're seeing it again. Economic growth used to be on a trend line that was close to 3%, then it dropped to 2%. Now it's well under 2% in real growth. And the COVID crisis continues to push it even to lower and lower levels. These growth rates are not sufficient to have a full employment economy. That's very important. Again, I'm gonna say these growth rates that we're experiencing are not sufficient to have a full employment economy. So if your head is spinning with Congress readying itself to approve an extra three to four trillion of spending and adding all of this to our federal debt, which effectively requires the Federal Reserve to create another three to four trillion dollars to buy the debt, then do please take a bit more than an hour and view the link and the video leading to Jeffrey Goonlock's interview with Daniel Martino Booth. Take care, be safe, and be vigilant. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.